Today on the Savvy Citizen Podcast, Peyton Flowers from the Gaston County Cooperative Extension stops by to talk to us a little bit about fire ants, mosquitoes, and pesticides and how you can keep you and your family safe over the summer. So we're here with Peyton Flowers, who is going to talk to us a little bit about the bane of many people's existence, fire ants. Well, they exist because because of industry, ultimately. Um, Red imported fire ants, which we have, they're also black imported fire ants. Okay. Um, They're not as aggressive, um, so we don't have those. But they have started to interbreed in Tennessee, but that's a topic for another day. Oh, my gosh. Um, this sounds like, you know, another like a bad B movie spinoff of Alien or something. Exactly. It's oh, a wild man. But basically from Brazil in 1910, sometime in that time frame, um, through trade, they moved on ships into the lower part of the United States, into like Louisiana, Alabama, mm-hmm. in the Gulf. And then we see the same thing happen. In the 1930s, with the red imported fire ant, which is what we deal with here in in our state, well, most of our state, I should right. say. So, why is it something about the climate, the soil? What what do they like about here, and why won't they leave? It's hot, it's humid, mm. and there's no enemies, right? So, in Brazil, um, there are certain pathogens that can reduce the population numbers there are predators that reduce their population numbers and we just don't have that natural control that they have in their native homeland in brazil and because of that they have made their way up into north carolina and parts of tennessee so there's nothing that eats ants here really there are um we've well this was probably at least a decade ago i would think or close to it they tried to release some parasitoid um, flies mm-hmm. that could control them, and it was without success. They are just a super resilient survivor species, and you kind of have gotcha. to respect them for that. Anything that can survive yeah. and thrive the way that you know a fire ant does, you have to respect it, but we have to learn how to, how to live with them now because they're not going anywhere. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I know my daughter had stepped on a, a fire ant hill one time a couple of years ago, and that was not a pleasant experience. She was not a happy camper. No, it is an extreme public health issue and animal health issue that we have to learn how to deal, deal with from the residential side of things all the way to the farm because it impacts all of us. So talk a little bit, of, if you can, about how do you control for them? Because obviously when you've got um, plants or when you've got pets, uh, you don't want to just dump a bunch of poison in your yard, obviously. No. Um, so there are multiple routes of control. I will tell, tell you right now that the ideal time um, to apply any sort of fire ant um, bait or drench would probably be the fall to try to reduce the amount of population that's mm. overwintering. Okay. Um, but any time of the year, um, 65 degrees um, soil temperature or higher, um, they're probably actively foraging, and you can you can treat for them. And there are organic options; they're just not quite as effective. But if you are looking for an organic option, and you're looking to steer clear of um, your conventional insecticides, mm-hmm. you can use delimonene, which is like a citrus oil, and okay. you just have to make sure that you you put that. It's like a contact insecticide, so it's as they're foraging. 
is probably not the best time. You might want to wait until, you know, evening or something when things start to cool off a little bit in the summertime if you're going to pour that on a mound. And you want to go at least in two gallons of water. Okay. Because what we have to remember is this mound is super deep into the ground. It can be six to eight foot deep. Wow. So we're needing a lot of volume to try to come into contact with that queen and disrupt um, their ability to continue to, to reproduce and build their population numbers back up. So baits are also popular because they get brought back, right? And then we have to understand the anatomy of the fire ant. So basically at all stages of life, fire ants feed on liquid. So they're bringing back solid foods. Um, they're omnivores. So it can be meat. It could be vegetables, grains. Um, they bring them back to the colony and feed them to the fourth instar of larva, which is the only stage that fire. So this is very important for any bait product that we're going to put out. So spinazad is that other organic product. So if you're going to put that out, it has to be brought back and then it's converted into a liquid by that fourth instar larva. This is kind of like that alien movie you right, were saying. It's, right. <laughs> it's wild. It converts it into a liquid, and then it's fed to the queen, the workers, and the other life stages um, that you would, you would see inside that colony. And that's where we see the baits beginning to control at all those stages because we're trying to get the queen. Um, as far as the conventionals, um, it's the use case. We have to really look at how the traffic of... Um, an area, if it's a high traffic area, like maybe like a soccer field, the baits take longer to work. So individually drenching those mounds is a, is a great choice. Um, but I would say it's best to hire a lawn care company at that point or a, a somebody who's a professional applicator or a certified applicator because there is a product that is useful out there. Um, Fipronil is the same thing in like flea and tick um, shampoos. So if you're okay. Um, using those on your animals, um, that's used in those types of scenarios um, sometimes to to control in high traffic. And then we talk about baits. Um, baits are always what I recommend to folks um, as the first method of control because basically you put them out, they're actively foraging in six to eight hours, they do their work. Um, just make sure there's no animals around when you are applying the bait. Okay. And if you read the labels, Unless you have, you know, I know some people have special pets who do special things. Um, That'd but, be me. <laughs> but as long as they're not, you know, eating at the base and eat, start eating a lot of dirt or whatever after that application, um, I wouldn't be too worried. But on the label, it says, you know, once it's applied, it's fine to release your um, pet back out into that yard. They're not going to be eating that bait. Okay. So what exactly happens after the bait's applied? Because I'm, I'm very new to this. Um, yeah, what happens to the rest of those ants? Is it just spread? We really should talk about what should happen before the bait gets spread, and that's um, you buy a bag of potato chips. And you're like, why do you buy a bag of potato chips? Right. You have to test to see if they're actively foraging. So you go to about two, three, four foot out from a mound that you see, mm -hmm. you lay a potato chip, go to the next mound, do the same thing, come back in about 15 or 30 minutes, and if there's ants on that chip, they're foraging. It's time to Got apply it. that bait. Okay. So wow. you apply the bait. It's mostly grain is the carrier and it's oily. And they, just like the potato chip, they go out, inspect it. It's small. They pick it up, go back into the colony, feed it to that fourth instar. It becomes a liquid um, and it gets fed out to the rest of the, rest of the population within that colony. 
So how long would that whole process take to work in terms of being able to kind of eliminate that fire anthill? It depends on the active ingredient. Um, the two most popular, um, the one that I'm recommending for most residential settings right now, I'm not going to, I'm not allowed to tell you exactly <laughs> what it is. But, yeah. Um, the active ingredient that I'm recommending, though, um, works in 72 hours. Okay. Um, and all of these need to be applied. You need about six to eight hours before a rain event for to give time for them to forge. So it doesn't take much as far as quantity is concerned for that to for them to get back back to the colony and, and feed it out and for it to start being converted. Um, you'll see populations reduce over time. Our pasture products, we have to be a little bit more particular um, with animals that are part of food systems. So those baits tend to work a little slower and have some different stipulations um, as far as um, what you're allowed, when you're allowed to harvest like hay in a hay field that's going to go to animals that are for consumption. Um, seven days is what they put that interval at. Um, but that one takes probably anywhere from two to four weeks to really work its way through. And it has two ingredients in it that's working within that colony to, to control the population. Hey citizens, are you feeling savvy yet? If not, let's take a break and hear about some cool things happening in and around Gaston County. Want to know what's coming up in the month ahead? Check out our Looking Ahead videos, produced each month in both English and in Spanish. We feature key dates, events you'll want to mark your calendars for, and so much more. Watch them on demand on the Gaston County Government YouTube page. Find them in the Ion Gaston playlist. So besides being just kind of a, a hazard to, to people and to animals, what are other things? I mean, are fire ants potentially damaging to plants or crops? They are a nuisance pest more than anything in our cropping systems. Okay. Um, so I before I was an extension agent, I worked as a nursery manager. Hmm. And they love to colonize within nursery pots. And that's mm. really who we have to blame for all that movement. Um, before the, you know, the, um, we were being regulated um, as far as what was moving from south to north, from Alabama, Louisiana. Those are rich nursery states as far as their nursery production is concerned. And all those pots and all those liners getting moved up. And us having a suitable climate for them is, is to blame. But you would stick your hand in a pot and then always look if you go out to a local nursery. Um, if you see this kind of like sandy looking grayish material in the side of the pot, steer clear of it. It has fire ants in it. Oh, jeez. Um, okay. So just look before you grab when you go into those types of situations. If you're buying from a big box store, they've already been inspected. Um, huge nuisance. I had so many bites on my hands from over the years, just not looking <laughs> and grabbing or pulling weeds out of a pot and then realizing, oh, there's fire ants. Um, same thing with equipment. We can see a lot of equipment. Um, um, sometimes if stuff's been sitting for a while, like if we look at our utility folks, um, the utility boxes where it stays nice and hot mm -hmm. and soil gets built up and you'll have fire ants that have to be, um, that are potentially um, causing some damage into into those um, utility boxes as well. So mostly nuisance pests occasionally will damage equipment. So one of the other things that we wanted to kind of talk about beyond just fire ant control 
um, is talking about just summer insect issues in general. So what are some other ones that people um, have to deal with over the summer and, and what are some good ways to uh, kind of help protect themselves and their pets? I'll probably, I'll start with the big one. Uh, mosquitoes, I think uh, is on everybody's yes. list during the summertime. Um, Satan's little helpers. I would steer clear of clothing that has insecticides like built in. I don't, I just, that's just a personal thing for okay. me. I don't know how, how safe I would feel knowing. And, but I would say that mosquitoes, there are treatments. Um, you have to realize that those treatments are insecticides and they, um, if you were to fog your yard, um, you hear running the potential, a lot of the most popular active ingredient, um, is a contact insecticide. So there are plenty of beneficial insects that are thriving that time of year too, um, that could come into contact with that. So you really have to weigh out your options. Um, the best thing to do is to figure out, um, where water is pulling on your properties. Um, and if you can control, you know, those spaces like culturally and, you know, fill in low spots that may be puddling or potentially use something like a mosquito dunk, um, which is an, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis. Say that the, five times fast. Exactly. <laughs> the active ingredient um, in that. But basically what it does is it, it controls the mosquitoes at a larval stage. Okay. Um, and any standing water you have around, I would, I would try those routes first before I would ever, you know, call in somebody to fog a property. But there are plenty of folks who use that service. Your protection is, is not that long with that type of product. And you're looking at a lot of reapplications mm. throughout the summertime. Um, the best thing to do... Um, is just to be where use the bug sprays if if you're going to go out and mm -hmm. i would always say that's your best bet um if you know that you're going to be outside for a long amount of time and near standing water in the summertime i feel like i've seen more mosquito eaters in the last couple of years than than i had seen previously and maybe that's just that obviously very small sample size but um i wonder if that's just we have so many mosquitoes here it's like ah it's like a buffet <laughs> yeah so we, there are natural predators for mosquitoes at least so we're, we're working um, with them. And that's the thing. We want to make sure that we um, think about that. And if, if we're not making those, you know, haphazard applications, then we can potentially increase the, the beneficials that may be feeding on and, and the other um, species that may be feeding on those insects. And obviously, like, you know, whether it's your front yard, backyard, porch, whatever, like you want to try to avoid having standing water anywhere because that's like a, a sure way of attracting mosquitoes to lay eggs and stuff, right? Of, of course. Just... You know, we have, I'm, I look, I just had to fill in some, some pretty bad, I'm new construction, right? I had to fill in some pretty bad holes that were, mm. um, you know, just kind of over, over time as things start to settle in a new construction yard, we have a lot of that in Gaston County, um, go out, walk the yard, realize where your low spots are and, you know, either call somebody in to do the work for you or do it yourself, but, you know, deal with that issue because it's going to make a difference. It does seem like there's a lot of alternatives to the traditional bug spray too. Um, I mean, I've actually seen and used the uh, the bracelets that that's, acts as a repellent. It's very like not intrusive. It also doesn't smell really bad or anything. Huh. So I feel like there's a yeah, and then there's there's bug sprays that also smell kind of good. So um, I feel like that's something that maybe we didn't have growing up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've used the bracelets as well. So there are options. You know, if we know we're going to be outside, we know we know we're going to have to deal with it. Um, I would always, you know, err on, I, I educate pesticide applicators as part of my job, but I would err on the side of caution when it comes to 
all the beneficial insects that are thriving during the summertime too. Um, if we could, you know, just treat ourselves and, and go about our business, then I think we're doing something that, um, smart in, in that application. When you're talking about pesticides, I mean, that's another kind of crucial element is making sure that like when you are using pesticides, you're storing those safely, right? Yes. Um, so we're, the thing is, is, you know, we, I don't think we understand what a pesticide actually is um, f- fully. You know, we think about what's being sprayed on the crops to, to maybe kill insects or fungus or disease um, or maybe even weed killer, which we can open up a whole can of worms with that topic. Oh, yeah. Um, as of the past, like, eight or nine years. Um, but the Clorox in your home, or I looked at these Clorox wipes underneath the table. Mm-hmm. They have a warning on them. They have an active ingredient list. They are a pesticide. They oh. are um, antibacterial soaps, um, dish, dish soap. Common house items are have to be inspected by the NCDA um, inside your local big box store. Um because they are technically pesticides. They are designed to eliminate, mitigate, reduce. I forget the whole jargon behind it, but the, mm-hmm. the actual definition of a pesticide is something that is designed to control even the microorganisms on, on us and our clothing or whatever it may be. But just like with those, we want to make sure that we read the label and we understand there are different temperatures. We talked about the fire ant baits earlier. Um, once that's open, if you look on the label, it's going to tell you that has to be applied within a month or two because it's going to take on moisture and it's going to make that product ineffective. You're going to have certain storage temperatures. And then on most products, you're going to see, even on the hand sanitizer that I looked at in my office coming here, I was like, I'm going to look just to see what it says on there. Mm -hmm. It's store out of the reach of children. Um, and with a lot of our bait products and herbicides, insecticides, fungicides store away from our pets. Um, so the smartest thing we can do is to keep those locked away um, from any uh, pet or child that could come into contact with them. Read the label, wear the protective equipment that it says on the label. How many times have I, you know, went to a, like a Lowe's or Home Depot and seen folks, you know, pick something up? And they didn't once look at the label before they ever took it out of the store. And then I think about before I was educated in pesticides, maybe, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I would put something in a backpack sprayer and I would just go and I wouldn't even look to see if I should be wearing, um, you know, certain types of gloves or eye protection. Mm. All that's going to be on the label. And if anybody ever has any questions, that's why I exist. I answer a lot of label questions. I'm the one weirdo in Gaston (laughs) County who actually likes looking at pesticide labels because I feel like if I help one person in that area um, and educate them, then I've I've made a difference. Absolutely. Yeah, we talked about uh, special pets earlier, and one of of our dogs got into a certain kind of fertilizer. And we have child safety locks on our cabinets and still managed to get in and, and chew up a bottle of that. And so then we had to call dog poison control and deal with, you know, all of that fun stuff. So I can attest firsthand <laughs> trying to keep that stuff out of reach of, of small children and pets is, is really important. And there are always, you know, we think about and we, we talked, we hit on some organic products or active ingredients earlier with the fire ant baits. Um, it's becoming an increasingly popular question is how can I handle this organically? Um, there are options for certain things and there are, you know, there are no options in other areas and we have to think about that. Um, 
But once again, that's why I exist in my position is to help folks work through that and to see if there are any other options. We want to address everything culturally first before we ever pick up something at the store that's going to be the magical um, cure-all to our problem. There is no magical cure-all to any problem. Mm. It's going to be working from two or three different angles sometimes to, to ultimately solve whatever it is we're trying to solve and making sure that we're safe while we're trying to solve it if pesticides are even a part of that program that's established for whatever you're trying to reduce, mitigate, control, or destroy. I feel like coffee is pretty close to a magical cure-all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe for some. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've reached the point in the podcast where we're stopping to do a commercial. But no, it's not selling you something. It's telling you something. Did you know Savvy Citizen now has a live music series? Check out the monthly episodes of Savvy Sounds, where we bring you original music and interviews with musicians from in and around Gaston County. View it on demand on the Gaston County Government YouTube page. Just search for the Savvy Sounds playlist. So what are some of the most common calls that you get? Because you talked about getting a lot of label calls and things about pesticides, but what are some of the most maybe common things that you that you hear that maybe would be good to just share with folks generally? As of lately, there are two big ones. One is dispelling the myth that murder hornets are here. Oh. Um, murder hornets are not here. They were found in Washington State. They would have to make it over the Rocky Mountains before they got here. Bit of a flight. Um, bit of a flight. And if, and the good news is none were found in Washington State as of last year. Mm. So that's part of my job, too, is to keep folks updated on, so, on some of these um, new pest introductions. Sure. Um, but I would say that most folks, the fear of, from, from media um, that's out there, Facebook, sometimes you might mm -hmm. see a post. Um, I would say you're probably dealing with, in the summertime, cicada killers, um, cicada killer wasp, which okay. look brutal and crazy, but they're not aggressive, and only the females can sting you, and the males are the more aggressive ones. That's typically how bees and wasps work anyways. Oh, interesting. Um, but you also, uh, European hornets, folks will be confused. Um, snap a picture, contact me, we can, we can nip that in the bud right away, and um, it's always good to know because we want to be sure. Um, and that's what, that once again, that's why I'm here to, to ease folks' minds and to give them an explanation of what they're seeing. Another popular one, um, coming into spring and I just had somebody walk in my office this week, crepe myrtle bark scale has been a big one. Um, so scale insects feed on plant saps and these particular scales attach themselves to the bark. So if you're seeing white structures on your crepe myrtles, which are everywhere, yeah. um, you're probably dealing with crepe myrtle bark scale. You're going to see some black sooty mold. And then the fire ants that we talked about at the start of this, right? They come in and um, feed on, or other ants will feed on that honeydew, which is a liquid um, that's being produced by the scale insects that can't process the sugars from that plant. And then we have an aesthetic problem and a tree health problem that we have to have to navigate through. And ultimately the black sooty mold has to be dealt with by controlling the insect itself. And it's a lot easier to manage bark scale um, when the tree is dormant. Then we can use like dormant horticultural oil and get into some safer practices for pollinators. Okay. Um, because the only other way are really are, are neonicotinoids that are systemic and make their way into the plant. 
Um, and if we're going to do that, it's best to cut the flowers off. Um, if we're going to do that towards the spring mm-hmm. as they go to flower in the summertime, because we don't want our bees visiting um, anything that has systemic insecticide in uh, it. That makes sense. One of those things that like I wouldn't even think about, but like it's that entire cycle. Yeah, you don't want to hurt anything that's, that's uh, you know, trying to, I guess, pollinate. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we want to protect our pollinators, and you'll see that. I mean, we are... The EPA has, has taken a great effort to pollinator protection and the warnings have changed on labels over the past, you know, five or six years. I remember being in the nurseryman and seeing that change on, on a lot of the insecticides being used and the time of day when we were applying those. Um, so pollinator protection is, is a big one. And we're trying to address that from the education aspect to our applicators here in the county. So I know that there's, and I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but there's, you know, every, whatever it is, 18 or 19 years, there's like a cicada brood that pops up and all of a sudden invades. Is that something that you get questions about whenever that comes back around? Not often. Okay. Um, I will say, you know, I've maybe a few um, like, hey, what is this alien looking like? <laughs> you know? Those are big, nasty looking things. Um, but other than that, no, I don't. Um, I don't get many questions as far as the cicadas are, and they don't really. Once again, if we see them, they can potentially be like a nuisance, but they're mm-hmm. not really doing it any harm. So, no, not many folks are concerned. Anything else about just kind of summer insects or insecticides that uh, that we didn't ask about that you wanted to mention? I will say that um, it frustra- what frustrates me the most about pesticides or insecticide use in general. Um, is that what's on the shelf in the box stores and some of these active ingredients are pretty, pretty brutal um, that you can just pick up and you think, Oh, it's safe because I can just pick it up on, on the shelf. Um, No, it's, it's safe. If you read the label and you follow all the precautions on that label, you store it, how it's supposed to be stored, you handle it, how it's supposed to be handled. Um, I think that's my biggest frustration is realizing that there are, there are some things on the shelf that a homeowner could pick up and they have no idea. Um, and there's no way that I can educate every homeowner in Gaston County about those. So if there's ever a question like, Hey, this is, that's once again, give me a call and I'd be happy to help. Um, because understanding the product is, is super important. And I have a fear that not many people know exactly what they're picking up oftentimes, or they're applying baits wrong. I mean, that's why we're here is, Hey, I've, Even if you've bought it, contact us. We'll tell you the safest way and the best way, the most effective way to apply it. Because if we don't apply it effectively the first time, what's going to end up happening is you're going to do it again Mm. and again and again. And now we're dumping more pesticide load into our county. And that's what we want to avoid. Right. You know, we want to minimize the use. There's no farmer, there's no landscaper who wakes up in the morning. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm ready to spray some pesticide today. You know, that's extra money. That's extra time. Yeah. And um, it should be the same for our homeowners. They should realize, hey, if I do this once the first time correctly, then I won't have to continue to battle this problem um, as often. And oftentimes we can point you in the way of changing some things culturally to help there be less of a, less of a pest load to begin with. Well, I feel like you had 
the changes that came out a few years ago where now like you basically like got to present ID to get Sudafed. And so people like at least understand like, oh, you could use this to, to make drugs and it's got some really powerful ingredients in it. And maybe that same realization isn't there with some of these insecticides. It's like, oh, I can just go pick it up on the shelf at, you know, name your big box store. And, you know, if you don't read the label, you, you don't realize what you're dealing with. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, with my experience, like me being a recent new homeowner and everything, I would I would say like, yeah, I'm really just looking for the thing that's going to solve the aesthetic problems that I'm dealing with and and not necessarily reading the label to see how safe it is and for the all the other things and all the other insects that are in the yard. So, sounds like I might be giving you a call <laughs> at some point. Absolutely. And oftentimes, um, you know, we go into the big box store and think, okay, this is what... If you spend a little extra money and go to a place that deals with some professionals, oftentimes those folks will be willing to work with you and, um, and show you some, some different active ingredients that oftentimes are, sa are safer. Um, so feel free to, to give us a call and we'll, we'll help you walk through it. Well, Peyton Flowers of the Gaston County Cooperative Extension, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and, and helping folks be a little bit uh, safer over the summer as they're dealing with some of these uh, hazards, whether it's the insects themselves or, or the pesticides. Uh, uh, definitely some great knowledge. Absolutely. Thank y'all. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. It's produced by the Gaston County Communications Office with hosts Janet Schaefer, D'Andrea Bradley, Elizabeth McGee, and Adam Gobb. Joshua Braswell serves as executive producer, and Gavin Stewart serves as field reporter and producer. Please like us and share reviews on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. In the next episode of Savvy Citizen, we talk with Mackenzie Rankin, a new reporter for Axios Charlotte and a Gaston County native. We're talking to her a little bit about her path in journalism and what it's like to be back reporting in the Charlotte metro area. <laughs>